Hello everybody, it is I, as always, Ryan, host of DM Told Me Too, and I'm back, I'm here, uh, finished school strong last semester, so um, hopefully these videos and the podcast episodes will come out more more regularly during the week. Um, now that it's summertime, I plan to stream uh, me working on the book. Uh, if you missed the stream, um, last week's Friday was the first stream, it worked pretty well, did about four and a half hours of just working on the book, so I can show you some of that progress and some of the stuff that we worked on there. If you aren't if you aren't aware of the um, stream and things like that, down below will be a link to the YouTube for the channel where you can watch me there or Twitch. I stream to both um, YouTube and Twitch at the same time, so whichever you prefer is the best chance. Um, I don't have a schedule just yet of being like, okay, these nights a week or the, these times during the week I'll stream, but I hopefully something that can work out for the future and get this book going. So. A lot of stuff happened when we worked on it last um, during the streaming session, and I met some new people, so if you guys were somebody new from the stream who came, welcome. Um, anyway, let's get into it. So, this section of the book, right? I'm going to scroll through here. I didn't update the quest log, the update log, because I was just busy, so I'll show you all the stuff we got. So, uh, and Dr. Reno, all the stuff. So, the only stuff I really ended up changing was um, went through, edited some word, just making work some more words cleaner in other sections. Um, let's see. Yep, okay, so spell list. I've now added level five spells. So go into those a little bit quick. So I get to my website I use there just to go into them quick. All right, so level five spells. We got, just to explain a few, right? So for power class, we got things like Banishing Smite, which is obviously just boosts you, deals your damage. It's nice. Um, Bigby's Hand was an interesting one. I never really remember this spell much, but Bigby's Hand. So you create a large hand of shimmering translucent force in an unoccupied space that you can see within range. The hand lasts for the spell's duration and it moves at your command, mimicking the movements of your own hand. Hand has a uh, AC 20 and hit points equal to your maximum hit points. Um, the hand can has a strength of 26 and a dexterity of 10. Um, hit points equal to your hit point maximum. So, I was on the fence with this, if I wanted to include it or not, because I really don't like the spells, at least that conjure you or summon you things, you know, because then you have that in addition to having a creature. And for the hand, actually, it might be way too strong. Because the hand can do an attack as a bonus action. When you cast a spell, and as a bonus action, you can move the hand up to 60 feet and then cause one of the following effects with it. Which is deal an extra 48, deal forceful hand damage, grasping hand damage, yeah. You know, after discussing this, um, I did stuff on stream, we talked about it a little bit, but ultimately I think it's best for me to remove baby's hand because conjuring epiphys that deals you an extra 48 every single turn while your opponent has one creature out is not... I don't think the best balance wise and that's why like you know I go over this I read them I put them in the book I talk a stream about it and then now that I'm actually recording of changes stuff happens it's just the way it is right um as always remember uh if you're listening and you want to see my actual screen and see what's happening the links will be down below to the finalized pdfs and versions after I'm done recording then I get the links for those so they're all up to date um but you can watch right if you're on youtube you can jump over take a look um yeah anyway um Next thing is circle up, uh, community nature, conjure volley. So there's a conjure volley in Bigsby hand, right? So community nature, look nature. Cool. Conjure valley is you'll throw like a weapon or an arrow up in the air because ultimately I picture in this world, right? There might be weapons that people could use 
but ultimately you're summoning creatures to fight for you that's like the whole big thing here um so while there is swords weapons arrows because it is like a fantasy world right you're gonna have uses for those in the game for example conjure valley volley for a um power or mancer, right you fire a piece of non-magic ammunition from a ranged weapon or throw a non-magical weapon into the air and choose a point within range. Hundreds of duplicates of the ammunition or weapon fall into a volley from above and then disappear. Each creature in a 40-foot radius, 20-foot high cylinder centered on the point must make a dex saving throw. Creature takes 8d8 damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. So, reason why this is power and not um, mystic is because this is like a physical weapon that you would then throw up in the air, arrow, etc., to then cause an AOE effect, as opposed to you casting like an arcane magical spell that causes fire or an elemental spell, right? This is just strictly like, it'll do the damage based on it coming down as the type of damage that it would take from the weapon. So piercing, slashing, etc. Uh, okay, next one being Destructive Wave. That's where, like, you slam into the ground and a wave appears out of you. Sounds like a powerful thing to do, right? So, perfect. Dispel evil and good. You just are able to, like, get rid of evil and good things that make you go away from you. Let me see exactly here, right? Shimmering Energy upon you protects you from fey, undead, and creatures originating from beyond the material plane. The duration, Celestials, Elementals, Fey, Fiends, and Undead have disadvantage on attack rolls against you. A perfect power thing, right? You make yourself, you buff yourself in some way that causes other people to either disadvantage or gives you advantage or you get insight on people or you're stealthy to try to get advantage or you cause disadvantage. That's all power stuff, right? Making you better. So when you cast it onto your Ormon, onto your Ormon and after fighting a Celestial Fae or Undead, that creature's disadvantage to hit your dude. Very strong, right? So that's why that's a fifth level spell. Um, and in this sense, especially. Uh, mislead was an interesting one. Mislead here. Um, you become invisible at the same time that an illusionary double of you appears while you're standing. The double lasts the duration, but the invisibility lasts if you attack or cast a spell. You can use your action to move your illusionary double up to twice your speed and make a gesture, speak, and behave in whatever way you choose. Right? So you can have it speak literally for you, or you can have a conjuration of your creature. So maybe you want to have, like, you don't want to have your actual goblin go into a goblin-infested mine and try to talk with them, but instead send in the decoy. So if they ever try to attack the decoy, the decoy poofs, and you don't actually have your own goblin get hurt. A fun way to use that, right? Uh, next thing being pass wall. This is believe where you just, yeah, a, message, a passage appears at a point of your choice that you can see on wooden, plaster, or stone, and you uh, do within range and last for the duration. You choose the opening dimensions up to 5 feet wide, 8 feet tall, and 20 feet deep. The passage creates no instability in the structure surrounding it. So you can make a walkway to go right through an item that's in your way. So when the opening disappears, any creatures or objects still in the passage created by the spells are safely ejected to an unoccupied space nearest to the surface on which you cast the spell. So it lets you be able to basically walk through things that are in your way. As long as it's 20 feet deep. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, tree stride lets you hop between trees, get advantage to attack somebody. Seems pretty up there. Wall of stone, you make like a physical wall of stone. I think there's a wall for almost each class now, so that's cool. And uh, seeming, seeming was a very interesting spell. I was like, mm, okay. The spell allows you to change the appearance of any number of creatures that you can see within range. You give each target you choose a new illusionary appearance. An unwilling target can make a charisma saving throw, and if it succeeds, it's unaffected by the spell. You actually like, change the appearance of things, like, but they're like psychic-y versions of them, right? So I could have a hat. If 
I run my hand through a hat, if someone tries to inspect the hat, they can tell, oh, it's not a real hat. But from afar and just looking at you, they can tell it, oh, this guy's wearing a hat, trench coats, etc. So not to say you as playgroup would commit evil and crimes or whatever, or you, but if you need to wear like a disguise to get into somewhere, maybe you're wearing dressed up as like a knight outfit. As long as you don't get attacked and nobody's like rolling to investigate and see that you are not actually a knight and when you're armor and you're just walking by other people, they might just foretake you as a knight and not bother you, right? If you're trying to sneak into like a barracks or something. Anyway, so that's all power stuff. Um, not too many for power with the fifth level because a lot actually go <laughs> to Celestial and other ones. And I think just because powers lists are just so big in other departments, I think it's more fair to, you know, look at other things. Anyway. Step down to Celestial, quick for 5th level. Anti-Life Shell, obviously protects you. Awaken. Awaken was a very... Is Awaken the one I'm thinking of? Awaken... No, I'm thinking of animate objects. Awaken is... After spending the casting time tracing magical pathways, you touch a huge or small beast or plant. The target must have either no intelligence or a score intelligence of 3 or less. The target gains intelligence of 10. The target gains the ability to speak one language you know. The target's a plant, it gains the ability to move its limb roots to actually like make something come alive. And I thought the idea of like creating life, right thing for Celestial, right? What they're about. Circle of power sounds like it should be a power thing, right? But this is ultimately an aura around you that causes or your arm monster to do something. And here's why. Until the spell end moves, um, until the spell end, the sphere moves with you and centered on you for the duration. Each friendly creature in the area, including you, has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. Additionally, when an affected creature succeeds on a saving throw made against a spell or magical effect, that allows it to make a saving throw to take only half the damage. So this is like a huge AoE buff for the team, right? It's not just you. It's rating 30 feet of you, causing everybody to have protection and advantage and etc. So, pretty cool. Uh, let's see another one. Creation. Obviously, you're creating life. Commune. I think commune was just what was commune. Oh, yeah, this was interesting. So I put this in the game. DMs do with this as you will, right? You contact your deity or divine proxy and ask up to three questions that can be answered with a yes or no. You must ask your questions before the spell ends. You receive a correct answer for each question. Divine beings aren't necessarily omniscient, so you might receive an unclear as an answer. You might receive unclear as an answer if a question pertains to information that lies beyond the deity's knowledge. So that's what makes it easy, like a little balanced, right? You could play as a religious um, Oromancer, no problem with that, right? And if you do, you could ask your god a question. But if obviously your god doesn't know because it's not in their field of expertise, then you might be in trouble. Um, if you cast the spell two or more times before finishing your next long rest, there's a cumulative 25% chance for each casting after the first that you get no answer. The DM makes this roll in secret, yeah, to see if you actually do it or not. But yeah, if you keep doing this without taking a long rest, then yeah. Um, okay, Flame Strike. You're like, uh, Ryan, that's a damage spell. And yes, it is. But a vertical column of divine fire roars down from the heavens in a location you specify. Each creature in a 10-foot radius, 40-foot high cylinder, centered on a point within range, must make a dexterity saving throw. A creature takes 46 fire damage and 46 radiant damage on a failed save for half as much on a successful one. Obviously, I saw the radiant damage. I was like, finally, we can give Celestials some sort of damage that's in their forte. That makes sense, right? So that's where the whole part comes in with being able to cast a damaging spell. So, all right. Next, uh, on the list of just things we're going to talk about, Gies. Gies, I, I never heard of the spell before. Obviously, there's spells here that are pretty obvious. Mass Cure Wounds, right? A restoration. 
reincarnate. They're all going to be celestial spells. I'm just trying to focus on some that might be like, why is this here? Or maybe you've never heard of Gias. I never heard of Gias, so I'm not even probably saying it right, but we're going to call it Gias for now. You place a magical command on a creature that you can see within range, forcing it to carry out some service or refrain from some action or course of activity as you decide. If the creature can understand you and must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become charmed by you for the duration, while the creature is charmed by you, it takes 5d10 psychic damage each time it acts in a manner directly counter to you. Instructions, but no more than once each day. A creature that can't understand you is unaffected by the spell. You can issue any command you choose, short of an activity that would result in certain death. Should you issue a suicidal command, the spell ends. You can end the spell early by using an action to dismiss it. A remove curse, greater restoration, or wish spell also ends it. Of course, right? Basically what it is, and it lasts for 30 days. So you could just cast yes, right? Components V for vocal, I'm pretty sure. So you have to speak something when you cast it, but you could say to the guard, be like, listen, you will not charge us a toll to enter here. And unless, if, assuming the guard doesn't charge you a toll to do it, you will not, he will not take 5d10 damage of psychic damage, and you guys will be able to pass through that or having to pay a toll to keep going back and forth if you have to travel between town and city. So it's really like a fun, you know, interactive spell. Not super big in battles, right? And why Celestial? Um, because I feel Mystic has a lot of charming spells already, and um, Celestial could have the spell to also say, just like, for example, if you have like the town guard or whatever, you could say, your men will not attack the orcs that are traveling through here. And if he commands for his men to do it, he'll take 5d10, which he won't want to obviously do. And that command is not something that would cause him to be suicidal or hurt himself in some way. Like, you're not causing him to pain. You're just giving him a command to basically say, hey, you guys might not like these orcs, but I know your men have to listen to you. So if, as long as you don't command your men to attack these things and the, us and the orcs can get through, then that's better for all of us. And by doing that, right, as being a celestial, you're not charming them to do bad, really. I feel the spells usually you're charming them to do good most of the time. Right? You're usually telling a bad guy to let us pass through, or tell bad guys, do not alert the guards that we're here. Etc. It's basically, I don't want to say a passive, like almost like a pacifist or safety kind of spell, but to me it seems like a spell of an idea where it's like, okay, instead of us just killing every enemy we see, what if I just try to charm it so it doesn't let everybody else know we're here and the problem doesn't escalate beyond what it needs to be? Right? So that's where that comes in. Uh, reincarnate obviously brings up... Oh! Rary's Telepathic Bond. I've never heard of this one either, but apparently it's in the player's handbook, so... You forge a telepathic link among up to eight willing creatures of your choice within range, secondly linking each creature to all the others for the duration. Creatures with an intelligence score of two or less aren't affected by the spell. Until the spell ends, the targets can communicate telepathically through the bond, whether or not they have a common language, which is huge. This thing has a range of 30 feet, by the way. Um, so you can pick up to 30 feet of, of the eight people. Communication is possible over any distance, though it can't extend to other planes of existence, right? So. You and the squad have to break up to do a mission. Maybe some people have to go and watch the watchtower while the people are going out to try to save people in the town while it's burning down. The people in the watchtower need to let the people on the ground know, hey, bad guys are coming in east or whatever, right? And then at, by telling them the command, they're not yelling or ringing a bell for the enemies to know that they're coming. They just telepathically tell you guys on the ground that. 
And then the enemies might think that they're getting the surprise jump on the town when really everybody in the town knows because the lookout telepathically told the people on the ground, hey, baddies are coming. It's just obviously a great example. Thought off the top of my head, I guarantee there's a lot of ways you can break and use these spells for different things, but that just seemed like an interesting way of doing it. And a uh, wall of force, right? So wall of stone was for uh, power. We have wall of force here. Just quickly go over wall of stone for power quick. Um, basically make a stone wall, right? Um, the wall cuts through creature spaces when it appears. You're surrounded by all sides of the wall. The wall can have any shape you desire, though it can't occupy the same space as a creature or object. The wall doesn't need to be vertical or resting on any firm foundation. It must, however, merge with and be solidly supported by existing stone. Um, you can create a span greater than 20 feet. The wall is an object made of stone that can be damaged and thus breached. Each panel has a AC 15, 30 hit points thickness reduced to zero breaks, etc. Uh, if you maintain your concentration on the spell for its whole duration, the wall becomes permanent and cannot be dispelled. The wall of stone makes a permanent wall, or wall of force, is simply a uh, visible wall of force appears into existence. The wall appears in any orientation you choose, horizontal, vertical, barrier, whatever, at an angle can be free-floating or resting on a solid surface. It can form into a hemispherical dome or a sphere with a radius up to 10 feet. Or you can shape a flat surface made of, of 10 feet by 10 feet foot panel. So like a, like a box, right? Each panel must be continuous to another part of the panel. Any form of the walls, one-fourths inch thick. The last of the duration, which is up to, uh, duration says concentration up to 10 minutes. But if the wall cuts through a creature's space when it appears, the creature is pushed to one side of the wall. And here's the kicker for the wall of force for, Cele for Celestia, right? Nothing can physically pass through the wall. It is immune to all damage and cannot be dispelled by dispel magic. A disintegrate spell destroys the wall instantly, however. The wall also extends into the ethereal plane, blocking ethereal travel through the wall. So you literally catch something in this wall and they are stuck with you as long as you're maintaining concentration for up to 10 minutes. Pretty good. I mean, you put down a friend, if the friend's badly hurt, and they're in the saves, and you're like, listen, we can't get over to heal him, he's like 100 feet away, but the spell's 120 feet, so I'm going to put him in a bubble, and hopefully he'll get through that. Or you do that, and they fall into a volcano to get a gem that fell in or something. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of different roleplay elements for that as well, so. Alright, continuing on here. Uh, last thing being mystic spells here. Animate objects I thought was really cool. Like, I've never really heard of this before, but it makes sense. So you literally just make objects come alive, right? If it's a tiny, a small, a medium, large, or huge object, and it has hit points, it has attack to hit. For example, a tiny thing has 20 hit points, AC of 18, attack plus 8, it deals 1d4 plus 4 damage, strength of 4, dex of 18. So these things are just like crazy, right? You can cho just choose up to 10 non-magical objects within range that are not being worn or carried. And objects come to life at your command. Um, and then medium counts as two objects. And the, the larger you go, obviously, the less things you can make. A uh, huge target count as eight objects, right? So if you can make 10 non-magical objects and it says um, medium targets count as two objects. So you can make five medium target objects come alive. And they all have hit points and stats. Um, again. It sounds really cool, but now that I think about it again, is this one of those spells where, in addition to having Oromon, now you're controlling like 10 tiny objects in addition on your turn, and I just feel that's way too, too strong. So sorry, animate objects, as fun as you are, 
I don't think that'll be good for at least game balance and mechanics, right? And that's where that this game's going to be a lot different than the normal Dungeons and Dragons because you're already going to be controlling a creature at a time. You know, you're not going to be controlling, like, that creature and, like, ten other creatures at the same time. That's just way too much. Um, I kind of called. Obviously, it's an AoE ice damaging spell. Contact other plane. Contagion. Obviously, it's like a disease. Old monster, just holding something sounds like a mystic thing to do. Modify memory, totally a mystic thing, literally changing somebody's memories. Uh, scrying, I'll talk about scrying quick. Uh, you see and hear a, a particular creature you choose that is on the same plane of existence as you. Target must make a wisdom saving throw, which is modified by how well you know the target and the sort of physical connection you have with it. Um, if a target knows you're casting the spell, it can fail the saving throw voluntarily if it wants to be observed, right? So you can literally have you sitting in the back, hiding behind, like, maybe a tub or a crate, and your other buddy's going in to talk with the guy, and you're there just to back them up if stuff goes bad. So you cast scrying on your buddy so that you can hear what they're talking about. And depending on the likeliness of the person, um, how, how, what's your connection with the person, right? Likeness or picture is a minus two, like I've seen them. Position or garment, they're wearing something that I remember is minus four. Body part, lack of hair, bite, a bit of nail, or the likely you've had like DNA from them, then you have a minus, minus 10 for that save. So, the more stuff you know about them, the better it is for you to cast the spell for them to fail with. Um, anyway, that's that one. Um, uh, contact other plane. It's basically asking a question again. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, Contact other plane. Perfect. Uh, you mentally contact a demigod, the spirit of a long dead sage, or some other mysterious entity from another plane. Contacting this existence, intraplanar inter intelligence, constrain, or even break your mind. When you cast a spell, make a DC 15 intelligence saving throw. Well, you are the intelligence spellcaster, right? So, and I failure, you take 66 psychic damage and are insane until you finish a long rest. While insane, you can't take action, can't understand what other creatures and all that. Um... On a successful save, you can ask the entity up to five questions. You must ask your questions before the spell ends. The game answers each question with one word, such as yes, no, maybe, never, irrelevant, or unclear. If the entity doesn't know the answer to the question, uh, the answer is unclear, right? If a one-word answer would, would be misleading, the DM might instead offer a short phrase as an answer. So that literally lets you break the game, right? You say to the DM, like, hey, uh... We're gonna contact the other playing guys, get some questions ready. We'll ask, we'll ask the DM on the side of the table. Ask the big, ask the big god, uh, something at the end of the table, right? Meaning, like, oh. Is the bad guy playing, like, a beast deck? Or is the bad guy that we're chasing after gonna be using plants? You know, like, that way you can, like, kind of figure out what they're using, what deck they're playing, what to go after, right? Based on what you're thinking. Um, next thing being, um,. Cause contact other plane, scrying, telekinesis just lets you be able to float stuff with your mind. Pretty cool. And transportation circle. We'll do that one last because that's an interesting one. Transportation circle. As you cast a spell, you draw a 10 foot diameter circle on the ground inscribed with sigils that link your location to a permanent teleportation circle of your choice, whose sigil sequence you know and that is on the same plane of existence as you. A shimmering portal opens within the circle you drew and remains open until the end of your turn. So you basically make like a, a teleportation like wormhole, right? If that's been casted in the same location every day for one year, it's permanent. <laughs> oh gosh. 
So guild halls probably have this, right? To get to major areas in the world that they may need to go to. Like, oh, hey, we need to go to our desert branch. All right, we'll go through the teleportation circle, right? So makes a fun role-playing element and lets the players be able to go places. So, all right. So that's, I did more than just fifth level spells with the stream, right? So next thing we did was Ormon card rarities. Yeah. So I'm going to go into all this here. I wanted, I know I've been making creatures and I have pictures of creatures that I have been working on here. Get those here. Uh, for example, we got this here. Uh, why did it? Okay. I'm trying to show these quick for guys, for people to see. Uh, for example, here is Weasel, right? We talked about how we've seen, if you're on the Reddit or in the Discord, you've seen pictures of Weasel before. So this is the regular D&D Weasel. He's just like blocking an alleyway here in the, in the town. Um, yep. And then Weasel will evolve into Weasel, the gambler, who is right here. Let me see if I can find his thing. I know I got him here somewhere. Sorry, I didn't organize this the best before I started. Here it is, duh, okay. So he'll evolve into that, right? Um, the thing behind them is like, they're a bunch of like, um, like the gang members in town, right? Weasel becomes Weasel the Gambler. He's holding out Aramon cards, maybe ante in like a duel or a fight or something, or placing bets on other people winning using Aramon cards, you know? So that was my idea behind him. And then the last one, which a lot of people liked and saw before, and this will be your first time seeing him in color, hopefully, is Don Weaselini the mob boss here i'm not sure in the background yet um so i'm just gonna show the picture of him at the background i currently have for him um but yeah so he's gonna he's like the mob boss of like the the whole town or city right so he's controlling the, the gang of the weasels he's the mob boss he's got the floating dice of Dungeons and dragons around him what does that mean right um he's gonna have a special effect where you'll roll on like a d100 table and get different effects depending on what result you get some of all of you rolling D10s, D4s, D12s, D6s, combinations of those in different elemental and types of damage. It's going to be fun. It's basically the RNGesus monster, right? Uh, I wanted to have a special guy that involves all different um, effects. And every time you can use this thing, you can roll and do something different, right? So you never know exactly what you're going to get. For players like the wild magic, players like the randomness of D&D, right? Because it is a random, it is a dice game. And you want to try using different amounts of dice and things that you've never used before. That's where this creature is going to come in great and handy for you. So um, I don't have a stat block yet for him. We don't have stuff for him then. Maybe we'll do that on the stream later. If you're watching this, listening to this, at some point, I could be streaming right now, like I said. So if you want to check out the links down below to the Twitch or the YouTube, I could be going live right there. If you're not in the Discord, I let, this, I let the Discord know when I'm going live. So you can come in down, chat, we'll work on creatures together. Um, and the, la the biggest thing is these card rarities, right? This was the biggest part that took the most time during the stream. And I'm just a part of the way through what I need to have done for it. So, but this is so important. And that's why I want to try to get this done first before I go into um, finishing up the creatures, finishing up the spell lists. Um, while the spell list is important, and obviously you need that to play, um, you need these card rarities organized. So that way, if you run into them in the wild and you get their cards, you know what they are, you know what they look like, things like that. But more than that is, so I'll, I'll explain. Uh, Oromon card rarities. The rarity of Oromon in this world corresponds to the level of play you are as a kid. You, uh, the rarity of Oromon in this world corresponds to the level of play you are as characters. 
Once you reach the next tier of play, you can gain access to obtain those next set of Oromon from the next card packs, right? So, in this first tier of play, your player level is 1 through 4, and you have access to CR creatures of 0 to 4. What does that mean? Well, uh, I've started here with CR0 to show what I mean, and this is where stream, if you ever hop down, I'm probably going to work on this, and I'm going to need help with this from people. So, uh, let me pull out my book here to show what I mean really quick. So. Um, CR0, right, so if we were to look up, for those that are watching, we'll go and look up, so, I'm gonna look up, um, D&D Badger 5e, right, oh, you know, I got Bat, Bat came up first, we'll look at Bat, so, I took all the creatures at CR0, and I kind of looked at them all in, like, a broad spectrum, and I was like, what would be a good example of common creatures, uncommon creatures, rare, epic, or legendary creatures that you could pull from card packs, like, for their rarity, depending on their CR. Now, obviously, a CR4 creature is going to be a lot stronger than a CR0, right? So what, what, what quantifies that? Um, well, in a card game, usually when you open a card pack, there is good, bad, epics, legendaries, etc. Usually. I, I'm trying to think of any sort of card game of any set that's ever been released where every single card in every single slot, whether it's epic or legendary or rare right? a higher level card slot has been a, a oh this is a premium best card Hearthstone doesn't have any of their sets Magic the Gathering as far as I know from the sets they're like don't get me wrong and then there's broken commons there's broken uncommons etc and um but then there's other stuff that's just trash at that level right so this is where I had to really think on what quantifies something to be in the common uncommon epic rare or legendary category because after all, if we scroll up and we look at the packs quick, or what's in every pack, get to that quick, and I passed it. We'll see here. I can find where I put it. There it is, duh. A uh, pack of 10 cards, right? So you buy a pack of cards at the shop in the game, and you'll get five commons, three uncommons, one spell, and one rare, epic, or legendary card, depending on what the pack is, or the chance of getting any of them, right? So that's where you're going to find a lot of common cards. There's going to be a few more uncommons, a spell, and then a rare epic, a legendary, etc. Um, so the commons and uncommons are the biggest thing. But what makes this game obviously different than other card games is if a creature is a common or uncommon, your chances of getting them fused to a higher level is a lot higher than getting an epic or legendary, right? So this is where I had a way mountain seat. So obviously this is a very rough draft. But for example, if you look at the bat stat block here on screen, and for those that are just listening, I'll tell you, right? Bat, AC 12, hit point 0.1. Uh, echolocation, it can't use its blind sight while it's deafened. So a penalty is blind sight of 60 feet, has perception of 11. Keen hearing, the bat has advantage on wisdom checks that rely on hearing. Okay, great. Uh, its attack is bite, plus zero to hit, reach of five feet. Uh, one creature hits for 1d1. Very bottom tier creature, right, if we're being honest. One health, plus zero to hit, 1d1 damage. None of its abilities help it. It can't really even see. That's why that would be like a common, right? Meanwhile, if we were to compare that to a hyena, or a D&D hyena, comparing a um, things I've laid out, right, so... I have the, obviously, bat in common, 
Hyena is a rare card. So this is one of the shots of your last card in your pack, either being a rare, epic, or legendary. What quantifies a rare? Well, Hyena, medium beast, unaligned. AC of 11. Ryan, that's got worse AC than the back. It does, but hang on. Hit points of 5. All right, a few more hit points. Uh, speed of 50, first of all. Um, player's speed is usually 30, 35 when you start. So this thing could chase you down. Good luck trying to run this. If this dashes after you, it's 100 speed of movement. That's not all. Pack tactics is the biggest thing for this thing. And as well as, so the hyena has advantage on an attack roll against a creature. If at least one of the hyena's allies is within five feet of the creature and the ally isn't incapacitated. So the reason why the players usually don't get pack tactics as like an ability in their class until way higher is because think about it this way. If, me, if I'm a player in a D&D game and I'm with two of my best friends and we're playing Dungeons and Dragons together with my DM, great. The three of us, if we all have creatures out, the chance for pack tactics is a lot higher because my creature and maybe Dijas's creature or Deadly Queen's creature, we're all going and we're all, our three creatures are running after chasing down one bad enemy. Our things get pack tactics because, well, if your thing has pack tactics, it'll cause its effect to happen because you're within five feet of them and you're fighting them, right? Uh, which is a very strong ability. And now granted, it has a plus two to hit, reach of five feet, and it deals 1d6 piercing instead of 1d1. This thing has a modifier to hit. It has advantage on its hit if a friend's next to it. And it hits for 1d6 instead of 1d1. You can see how that's already so much better than the bat, right? Despite them both being CR zero. So that's where I took all the different CR creatures at zero. I weighed them out where they would be as far as, and obviously, I gave them benefit of the doubt, right? If I was like, well, this thing could be a common or an uncommon, I usually lowered it on the lower scale of common versus uncommon. Same thing if I saw a creature and I was like, well, this could be a rare, but then I was like, well, because you're comparing that to also things that are CR4. There's going to be things that are super high tier, right? And things that are super deadly, like an intellect devourer. Show that for people quick. Intellect devourer, right? Uh, stats, right? Intellect Devourer here. Let's see if it'll show me what I want to see. Uh, okay. All right. CR3 creature. That's in our range, right? Hit points of 36. Already way more. AC 13. But you're like, why, Ryan, why are you showing me this? Well, the thing with this is I also have to take into account do things have resistances, immunities. This thing is literally like brain with legs. But it's got all these different effects here. And the thing that I would quantify this thing as a legendary for our range of speaking is because of Body Snatcher or Consume Mind. If I was a new consumed mind here, intellect devourer choose one creature conceived within 30 feet of it as an intelligence of three or higher. Target must succeed on a DC 13 intelligence saving throw or take 3d10 psychic damage. If the target fails the saving throw by five or more, its intelligence score is reduced to zero. Target is incapacitated until it regains one point of health. And then body snatcher, the intellect devourer chooses one incapacitated creature within five feet of it and engages it in a contest of intelligence. Intellect Devourer overpowers the creature's mental defense if it beats the target on a contested intelligence check. Well, your intelligence score is probably zero if they consumed your mind, which is a very high minus value for your role against the Intellect Devourer's role of an intelligence of plus one. If they beat it, if the Intellect Devourer wins, it will consume the creature's brain and teleport into its skull, taking full control of the target's body. So you see how this would be a legendary creature compared to everything else we've talked about, right? So, obviously, to get a, a more deadly or crazy OP stat ability creature, they're going to be legendary epics in the pack 
harder to get creatures to get duplicates of to evolve them into even crazier, stronger evolutions of themselves, right? So that's where um, I kind of quantified things. And you're looking at the list here for those that are listening and not watching. Totally cool. A lot of the comments are pretty self-explanatory. Frog has no attacks. Seahorse has no attacks, just stat blocks. So obviously those are going to be common creatures, right? Uncommons, well, like we talked about, uh, we haven't seen any of the uncommons actually. Why is Awakened Shrub here, Brian? I don't know why that's a thing. Well, Awakened Shrub, D&D stats, right? You look at Awakened Shrub. Awakened Shrub, where you're like, okay, AC of nine, Ryan, that's so bad. Yes, hit points of 10 though, which is actually really good. And you're probably like, where are you getting your numbers and averages from? Well, I figured if this is a book about D&D creatures, I probably should use a D&D material that can help me somewhat quantify what is a good or bad creature. So I, I took out my handy dandy Dungeon Master's Guild. Okay. And on page 274, those that didn't know this, great tip for you DMs out there. Um, creating a quick monster stats. You're not going to be able to see it because I'm just going to flash it quick. But there's a table that does a breakdown on creating a quick monster and usually gives the average ranges for most things. For example, CR0, proficiency bonus of plus 2, armor class usually less than 13, hit points 1 to 6, attack bonus usually less than 3, and damage per round usually 0 to 1, a save DC of less than or equal to 13. That helped me kind of gear how to judge a creature, right? Is this thing above where it should be stat-wise, maybe its abilities are bad? Or is it a literal glass cannon and its abilities and attacks are really good, but its AC is bad? So that at least helped me put in perspective, okay, what does the average thing look like on this spectrum here? Uh, armor class of 9 for Awakened Shrub, well, that's obviously pretty bad, considering its armor class, while well, less than 13, Bat has 12. It has 10 hit points, which is pretty good, right? That that's more than 1 to 6 by far. Its stats are really bad. It is vulnerable to fire, but damage resistance of piercing. Got false appearance, so the shrub remains motionless. It's indistinguishable from a normal shrub, but it has the rake ability, which is a melee weapon attack. It gets a plus one hit, and it's a target for 1d4 minus one slashing. So yes, it could deal zero damage, but it gets a plus one to hit. And you're thinking, oh, okay. Still, Ryan, why is that an uncommon compared to the comments of that? And specifically because, like I say, I look at the character's full stat block, right? Where does that put it with the other creatures in that CR level of zero? And simply, by having false appearance, um, uh, makes it motionless, it's indistinguishable, sure. But the vulnerability of fire. Nothing at CR zero has a fire attack. You might be like, what about the giant fire beetle? It's in its name. Uh, yes, it is. But it can only bite. It doesn't actually, it's not actually made of fire. The picture looks really cool, but doesn't actually breathe any fire. It shines bright light. It's almost like a big uh, firefly, if you will. Um, but the key thing is, actually, wait. That's good for me to see quick. Let me see. Do we have our bat? Yeah. Interesting. So I just noticed a giant fire beetle does slashing damage instead of piercing for its bite, which is quite interesting. But anyhow. The reason why that's important is because Awakened Shrub has a damage resistance to piercing. Why is that so good, Ryan? Well, keep in mind, our Awakened Shrub has all the same stats as an evolved creature I've shown off before, Thornmonger, who has damage vulnerabilities to fire and slashing, but damage resistance to bludgeoning and piercing, which I have to add here. 
The thing that makes piercing such a, a good damage resistant is that I don't know if people realize, but a lot of things early game, especially at CR0 level of, of play, because this thing came from the Awakened Shrub, right? This is the evolved form of the Awakened Shrub, the Thornmonger. Look at our list of Ormon Almanac, Chapter CR0 creatures. So, piercing is a big thing, and here's why. A lot of creatures early game have Bite. Bite is a piercing attack. So if it has disadvantage, uh, it causes enemies to have disadvantage on their attack with piercing. Or resistance, I'm sorry. If they're resistant to piercing, they have to damage. So if they roll and they're like, oh, I finally hit this thing for four damage. Well, let's actually have it down to two. And oh, its hit points are ten, which is higher than usual. So that's what made it be a little bit better than the other stuff. And I'm telling you, take my word on it. Um, if you were there for the stream, you saw um creatures at cr0 are really nothing to shake a huge stick at but here's again what makes this game a lot different than other types of games while these creatures on their own are not strong right if you were to play a board game if you play a card game whether it be hearthstone magic pokemon whatever you play right uno maybe not uno but um and you open a card and card pack that's it right that's the card usually um you could disenchant it and make something else if it's hearthstone if it's magic gathering you open a card that card is what it is Hard stats are bad. That's it. This game, though, since most things, actually everything, can have at least one to two evolutions to it, that garbage you find could evolve into a better type of thing. I feel like, oh, I keep accumulating, I keep getting all these crabs, like the, or I keep getting all these frog cards that don't have any attacks. Well, when that thing evolves into a majestic frog, or a leapster, or whatever I call it at that point, then all those clicking those frogs makes a CR0 or CR3 level frog that already outbeats most of the other CR0 things in the game, right? Um, so I have to decide here, and this is where hopefully people listening can give their, their opinions either, either down in the comments here or just message on Discord or after you hear this, because um, I, like, I like feedback on opinions on things. Now I could do each CR give it its own list of commons, uncommons, etc. But that would be a lot, especially when you're making card packs and you're like, what do I want to grab? Or I simply make it be, okay, here's the first tier list like I have designed, right? Players levels one through four, CR zero to four. So now on this list, once I start adding the CR one eighth creatures, I will also throw them underneath the commons list here, underneath the uncommons, underneath the rares and epics and legendaries. And this way, DMs at home, Later on, when I finish this, I'm going to make card packs based on the creatures in these tiers, right? So, for example, if I was to make a pirate pack or an underwater pack, right, I would include the octopus, the quipper, things like a seahorse, you know, it could maybe do frog, depending on what other creatures are here. But this way, I can at least make a list of commons, a list of uncommons, a list of epics and legendaries that players could open in packs based on those themes of cards. Which is fun, because ultimately D&D is supposed to be a creative outlet, right? Especially if you like card games, you like um, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever it be, that's a card game that you enjoy playing. It's a fantasy card game. Here, you're then able to build your own packs for your own players. Obviously, I'm going to submit packs for people to use if they want to just get the book, read it, everything's here for you. But if you want to be able to use your own packs when you play with, you'll at least have all the commons, all the uncommons, the rares, the epics, and legendaries broken down for you based on what they are. So that way you can formulate packs better. Again, disclaimer. I'm like a broken record when I say this, but um, I'll just play test it, right? So if people are playing and they're like, Ryan, you have to move 
Uh, one that was debated for a while was Baboon, where I wanted to put Baboon, see how it's on Uncommons twice. They're actually looking at the list because I wasn't sure on if I wanted to have it be an Uncommon or higher because now we have to buy more Baboon, right? So, Baboon is Pack Tactics. And so does the Biomorph Baboon. And the Biomorph Baboon's Tentacle Whip gives a range of 10 feet. Well, if you have a friend within 5 feet and your baboon's right behind it, it can proceed to whip and hit it with advantage. <laughs> right, so that's where it's like, okay, um, this is a really strong, Ryan. You might want to dial that back and make that back up to a rare, so it's hard, not, not, not trying to make it be harder, but more balanced, more of a better chance for you to get a card and be like, okay, this is a rare level of card, or okay, this is an epic level of card. Because what makes the... um. First tavern tier play of creatures that are CR zero to four is when a um for example CR zeros are going to become they'll evolve into CR three where um CR four creatures obviously aren't going to go back to CR three when they evolve because that wouldn't make any sense they'd be de-evolving they might instead become a CR six or seven I have to lay out again like the pathway on I don't know my notes open for that but on which with what um what starting level of CR do you fuse and make a stronger version of now obviously most of the cr4 creatures might be your rare epics or legendaries in your list now some of the bad ones might be commons and uncommons but that helps balance out the game right if you open up a card pack and you get a bunch of like the cr zeros but like one cr4 you then evolve those cr zeros up to maybe a cr3 and that's better than the one or two cr4 cards you got because that's just how RNG and luck of dice. And the same thing if you open card pack, right? In real life, you're trying to make a full play set of cards. Unless you buy those singles, you're going to be opening a lot of card packs if you're looking for specific rares, epics, or legendaries for your deck compared to just crafting or making them or buying them as singles. But those avenues are going to be open for you as well to, to have advantage of. But that's just where that the, um, you know, the first tier, right, of players levels one through four, this helps limit so that players that are level four don't get, oh, you know, I cracked open my pack and I got a, you know, a Mind Flayer, a Beholder, stuff that's way super strong for players at level 4 to be summoning and casting. This at least puts the, puts the brakes and a little bit of limitation on what you can have. Now, once you reach player level 5 and you reach second tier of play, I think it's 5 to 10, and you'll have access to CR, whatever the next bracket is, right, that I've designed. I think it's 5 to 10, I think just CR 5 to 10, maybe. If I remember offhand, is it in the book? It might be. Yeah. 5 to 10, right? So 5 to 10 is the next bracket. Usually player level 5 to 10, you'll have access to creatures level 5 to 10. And uh, at that point, CR creatures that are 10 can be a lot stronger than CR creatures at level like 3. But ultimately, what makes this also interesting is the key card mechanic. So while a CR 10 might be great in a fight, maybe you want to have that in your deck to draw that, to hopefully try to draw it more later to summon it to fight. But your key card that's been out for 24 hours gives you a way better effect that you need now compared to a thing that will give you a better battle advantage at being like CR 10 and higher. That's just where it comes into, right? Eventually, and who knows, if you're a DM and you're playing and you make a rule or make a tournament that's set up in the town for the players to play in, and it's called like the small cup or the little cup they have in Pokemon, right? Where you can only play with creatures from the first tier of the game. Or, oh, you can only play with creatures CR 3 or less. That way, if people are collecting a lot of commons that are garbage, that they don't, that you as a uh, DM don't see the players somewhere using much, they now can have that to be used later. So, that's all everything that I've done so far in the book. I know I've been talking fast, and this was a lot of stuff, but 
Thanks for staying with me. I want to show you. Okay, let me show you if you're like, all right, Ryan, you've explained comments on comments. Why do you have homunculus in the legendary? What is homunculus? All right, here's what homunculus is. Because I, like I said, on stream, we broke it all down. We, I, I would look at a thing and I'd be like, all right, guys, where do you think this falls? And players were like, oh, this should be an uncommon or common, et cetera, you know, and I'd be like, oh, why? People are asking questions. So it was fun. So if you haven't been to a stream yet, be sure to check them out. Um, anyway, here's, here's, here's homunculus. Okay. Um, AC of 13, which is already, you know, right at the top for the AC usually. It says less than or equal to 13 for CR0. That's at the 13. Already a high AC. Hit points of 5. All right. Average hit points. Speeding of flying of 40 feet, which is important. We'll get to that later. Speed of 20 feet on the ground. It's immune to poison. Condition immunity is charmed to poison. All right. Can be charmed to poison. Fine. Understands the language of its creator, which, I mean, would be you. Your mind will understand your language no matter what you speak, usually. Um, telepathic bond, while the homunculus is on the same plane of existence as its master, it can magically convey what it senses to its master, and the, and the two can communicate telepathically. So if you send this thing, like, halfway across, like, fly ahead of us and just take a bird's eye view of the area, and let me know what you see up in the air of where the enemy patrols are walking around in the woods so that we can avoid them, bam, already makes this thing, for being a CR0, an amazing level of understanding and talking. Because usually... If you summon a bird, yeah, you can talk with it if it's your Ormon and fly away. You can't telepathically talk with it anymore. But this thing you can. So already for roleplay aspects, this thing's already a higher tier than, let's say, the bat, right? But here's the kicker. Bite. Plus four to hit. On a CR zero creature. Really good. Well, Ryan, it deals 1d1 piercing. All right. But you're going to get that 1d1 piercing off. But the target must succeed on a DC 10 con saving throw or be poisoned for one minute. So you're already poisoning creatures. Well, Ryan, Scorpion does that. Scorpion's not up here. But if the saving throw fails by five or more, the target is instead poisoned for five or 1d10 minutes. And unconscious while poisoned in this way. For those that are like, okay, Ryan, they fall to the ground. What's the big, what's the, why? Well, here's what unconscious does for those that don't know, that are newer to the game. An unconscious creature is incapacitated. See the condition. So it's also incapacitated. It can't move or speak and is unaware of its surroundings. The creature drops whatever it's holding and falls prone. The creature automatically fails strength and deck saving throws. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. Any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within five feet of the creature. So not only if you fail that DC check, a DC con check of 10 by 5 or more. Let's say you roll a 4 and you're like, oh, it's just unlucky. Or, oh, my creature has a minus to its con, right? Like, for example, bat has a minus 1 to its con already. So if that bat rolls a 5, that's really a 4. The bat would be falling on the ground, poisoned, unconscious. So this thing not only poisons you, it makes you fall prone and you're incapacitated. Other effects we should look at quick. Poisoned. Poison creatures disadvantage on tech rolls and ability checks. Well, you're not even just poisoned if you fall down. You're unconscious, right? If you have five or less. Then you also fall prone. Prone makes you have disadvantage on tech rolls. You can, on attack rolls against the creatures of advantage, the attackers within five feet. Otherwise, the attack rolls have disadvantage. So, attackers have advantage on hitting you because you're on the ground prone. If they're within five feet, they have a critical hit on you, an automatic critical hit. That is very strong. And you're poisoned for how long again? Oh, not until you take a hit and you wake up. No, you're poisoned for 1d10 minutes. It's not like, oh, the creature puts you to sleep, you get hit, you wake up, like in other effects. Oh, no. 
<sighs> Incapacitated, right? Incapacitated creature can't take actions or reactions because you're unconscious. So you literally just have to keep skipping your turn because you can't take actions or reactions, theoretically. And you hopefully somebody comes by or kills this homunculus. This thing's all CR0, guys. If you get one unlucky roll on this thing at CR0, you fall unconscious. People have advantage on hitting you, and you're poisoned. Do you see why this thing, for, for roleplay elements, and for even just combat elements, right, is very strong. I think this is the strongest CR0 creature in the monster, in the basic, I want to clarify, right, this is the basic monster manual. You might be like, well, Ryan, Tomophos, it's this, or Ryan Volvos, I'm like, yes, I, it could be. While I have those, we're just starting with the monster manual first. <laughs> So you see why, right, if in a card pack, you wouldn't maybe have a chance of opening a homunculus, but it's a small chance because getting all those things and then getting its evolution into Igor, if I want to have it be Igor, I might have to be something else as another like mutant creature now that I've read more about homunculus and see what it does, right? I might have it be a actual like, like construct creature looking thing, maybe like a praying mantis or something that has these effects that can fly around. But you see how it's crazy for roleplay elements and it's super strong just on its own. Granted, yeah. You're like, okay. If you roll below five anyway, it should be something bad. Yes. But you can understand, this is like bottom barrel tier. This is like homun this is like comparing this to a creature that doesn't even have any attack actions. <laughs> so this is why it warrants the legendary. Um, because it also just makes you go unconscious if you get a bad roll. Nothing else in Zero Zero does that. The goat's pretty good. The goat can make you, it has charge attack. It can get extra damage with its hoofs. It cannot be knocked prone because of its hoofs, but can one of these creatures will evolve into stronger variants of themselves as well. So being able to get a homunculus that has another stronger ability that might make it CR 10 check now become, oh, a CR 15 being a level three. Now makes that knocked unconscious very strong. So, with that being said, hopefully you guys enjoyed this time. Um, hopefully next time I do the next update, hopefully once a week they'll see these episodes come up. But otherwise, I hope I'll be streaming at least a few times every week. So, something to come on down, check, we'll chat. Uh, hopefully we can get working on the next tier of CR18s. Um, again, I would look at the list and make evolutions and put them along in the Aramon Almanac chapter thing. And so we have to decide, right? Is this something where, oh... Do I make label out all the rarities as their commons, uncommons, rare, epic, legendary, at least for first tier, and then make some packs with those creatures, and then go back to filling in all the creatures' stat blocks and things, because I'm just building this list from the creatures that are already in Dungeons & Dragons, right? I'm not doing anything special with these things. These are not their evolutions. These are just opening the basic creatures in the card packs. Because that's what all you'll be able to open. You won't be able to open their second evolutions unless maybe there's an evolution pack that a DM homebrews somewhere, of course, and that's entirely up to you. If your players do like something super heroic or or reach that next tier of play from first tier to second tier, maybe there's like an evolved pack of all first tier creatures. But to me, that sounds really strong, and I would kind of advise against that. But whatever players want to do, that's totally fine. Um. So, with that being said, um, if you enjoyed this. If you're watching on YouTube, please leave a like. If you're not a member on the YouTube yet and you want to subscribe to get daily updates and things, you can see the four-hour streams up on YouTube. I don't know if it's up on Twitch, recorded. I have to look into that. But anyway, if you haven't seen Talk Live and want to just come down and hang out and say hey and just watch what we're doing live, that's totally cool too. Um, with that being said, 
be sure to check us out and i will hopefully see you guys all next time and like i said the updated book will be available for you guys to see because i think a lot of these updates aren't in your guys's um, version yet to check out so um that's why i'm kind of like do i pull the brakes a little bit on making each creature the revolution and just make the pack so that that way if i my play testers can start play testing um because they really can't crack open packs and do that stuff unless i lay out and make the packs for them to use right if i say okay this creature is a legendary or this creature is an epic at that level of tier of play right so for example like legendary creature being the homunculus that thing can fly up in the air 40 feet and then fly down bite and could i mean provoke opportunity but try to fly away again and then not get hit from you guys again could be very strong um so with that being said hopefully you'll come on down we'll see what i'm up to when i'm streaming it could be doing this it could be doing other things but uh Without further ado, if you're not following, if you're listening on Podbean or Apple Podcasts and you're not following, you want to follow. That's always free to do. It doesn't cost you anything to do. So I'd say it's very, very fun. Um, then we get notified when the next episode comes out. And um, leave a comment. I haven't seen many comments and things lately or reviews online. And I know that would help get the project going. And it would mean a lot to me if you do it. And it just takes a few minutes just to write and be like, hey, this project seems really cool. I'm excited for this. And that way people can just can start to see what's coming. So anyway, end up with me asking for things. I will hopefully you guys all live sometime and if not i will catch you next time when another one of these videos comes out all right see you